What is happening, everyone? Thank you so much for tuning in to Backmarker Podcast. Uh, we got a few things to talk about, mainly in F1, but also we're going to discuss... You already know what I'm going to discuss <laughs> in MotoGP. Um, we're not going to discuss the Mar- Marquez move to Crucini's and Ducati because I've already talked about it many, 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 many times. But we are going to talk about the void that is going, the void that is now at Honda or soon to be at Honda, and also some of the uh, silly season rumors that I find have some credibility and some that are just plain dumb. But let's get started with the only race that happened this weekend, and that is the Qatar Grand Prix, and the the absolute punishment that the drivers took um, at this race. And <laughs> I just go I just looked this up just to make sure that that you know get my facts straight. And I'm wondering if if F1 and the FIA know about Google and know about seasons because it seems to me that, um, and and MotoGP and and the FIM for that, for that matter. But I don't think it's a very good idea to have, um, anybody who sits in a, sits either in or on top of a high performance machine covered in either leather and or uh, fire resistant or fire suits for a few hours in 90 degree heat and 70 plus percent humidity. Um, And for those that don't know exactly what happened with some of the drivers, uh, Esteban, I was about to say Sebastian, (laughs) Esteban Alcon said that he threw up... um, on lap 16 and 17 a few times. Uh, Stroll said he lost consciousness, was in and out of consciousness. George Russell was echoing the same thing. Um, you know, there, there are drivers all around that were um, feeling the effects both during and after the race. Um, surprisingly, Alonso wasn't, <laughs> didn't look any worse for wear, and that's, pro- and that's mainly because of his... Of, of his workout regimen. Um, the guy is just a machine. Um, but the main thing is, you know, the fact that the FIA and F1, uh, next year they, they're going to make these races more sensible in terms of logistics. But I think the next step they need to take is to make it more sensible to um, the weather. And... You know, have you know have all these Middle Eastern races being held during the winter, um, or at least in the spring? Uh, I know that the Yas Marina, the people who are in charge of Yas Marina, Yas Marina aren't going to like that a whole lot. Um, if they if they can't do it in December, um, because historically that's been the final race of the season. But there comes a point in time where you have to look out for the safety of the drivers slash riders. And I think a lot of the drivers uh, yesterday and today have made that perfectly clear that this was a limit. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the FIA and F1 do um, as a result. 
um, and what the Grand Prix uh, Drivers Association, whatever the hell they're called, I forget what I forget who it is, but what they do to try to um, minimize the effects. Um, and speaking of which, I, I talked about this a little bit um, on Instagram. But Logan Sargent, um, I just wanted to cover that very briefly. Uh, and shout out to uh, at Clara GX for, for just spitting facts, not just with Logan Sargent, but also with the, the circuit. Um, the fact that he the fact that he wanted to tough it out uh, for several laps, even though he was feeling ill, um, sp- speaks more about to me, it speaks more about his his mentality and trying to save his seat. Um, and I think even James Valls on the radio, he said there's no shame in in basically retiring the retiring under the circumstances. Um, and I think it's probably I think it, it, it he's already ha- he already has one foot out the door. Um, and the fact that he thinks that he has to gut it out like this in order to even have the hope of staying in, of, of keeping his seat, again, speaks to the culture um, around F1. Um, and for those that have watched and been around F1 for a while, it's once you're out, it is extremely hard to get in, uh, get back in. Especially if you don't have any polls, any wins, any championships, you know. Granted, there are reason there. There's granted most of the time there's a good reason why um, drivers are out of F one, um, and luckily Esteban Ocon, you know, the main reason why he got kicked out was because he didn't have the sponsorship money. Um, that his replacement did, and it escapes me who who replaced him. Um, but luckily, he was able to get back in because he showed that he had the talent. Um, and unfortunately, he's driving a car that he's driving a car that isn't able to really show anyone um, what what he can actually do. But uh, just circling back to to this whole culture thing with Logan Sargent, you know, it's that's a very dangerous game that he's playing. Um, but I understand it; I get it, and I wish that he didn't have to do that. But unfortunately, he does, um, and hopefully, in the future. Drivers will be able to uh, err on the side of their health more more than they'll err on the side of job security. Um, speaking of job security, let's talk about Aston Martin um, and specifically Lance Stroll. Um, He's obviously been the he, in terms of driver parent in terms of drivers. He's obviously the anchor that is weighing down that team. Um, but I also think that that has more that has 
the team also has a large hand. Large, uh, the team, the team is equally as responsible. Um, I think we can all agree that Fernando Alonso is one of the best drivers in the world. Um, not just an F, not just an F one, but just in the world in general. Um, so the fact that you know he, the fact that Lance Stroll has has Alonso to tr- as barometer um, isn't fair, but at the same time, you don't expect. It's kind of hard to excuse his performance when he's not even being able to make it out of. Of Q uh, of uh, of Q three, um, or is it Q one? I forget. <laughs> I'm having a brain fart right now. But basically, the first qu- it's it's hard for it's hard to excuse away his lack of performance when Fernando's able to make it into Q two, um, and he's not even able to make it out of the first qualifying session. Um, and then obviously his little his little temper tantrum over the during qualifying didn't really help matters worse, both in, in the pit and all, and in the interview. Um, but, you know, I think we can, think we can all relate to, you know, being hot, being uncomfortable, just being and on top of that, being mentally frustrated. Um, sometimes it boils over. Now, does it boil over to the point where we throw a $50,000 item on the ground? Probably not, but maybe that's what happens when your dad owns the team. Um, but shoving your personal trainer and then having the Kurt interview that you have, that you have after that, um, doesn't do you any favors. Um, I've never been a fan of Lance Stroll. I think that he's, overstate his time in F1 and the only reason why he's there is because of his dad um you know he's basically he to me he's like he's pastor he's he's an improved version of pastor Maldonado that's who he is to me um so it'll be interesting to see if if his dad is gonna make the tough decision and replace his son or if he's going to try to stick with him. Um, I think if Lawrence really cares about the direction that Aston Martin want to go in, in F1, um, he will basically tell his son to kick rocks and maybe go drive, um, an Aston Martin in GT racing. Um, see how he fares in that. Although he probably, he's probably not going to fare too well. Um, he just, he seems like he's a, he's a good driver, not a solid driver, not an exceptional driver. Um, and good drivers don't belong in F1. It's just how it is. Um, unless you, unless you got a shit ton of money to keep your seat for a while, but even then it eventually, it eventually catches up to you. And I think that Lance, um, is catching up to him. Um, but the other thing too, is how just, how much they fall, or I shouldn't say fall because they really haven't fallen, but how much all the other teams have been able to improve, especially McLaren, and how they've basically become stagnant. Um, I got into a little argument with a road and track journalist, I forget his name, um, on Twitter that I 
posted on Instagram. And, you know, trying to say that they're punching above their weight and then using where they came from as a defense is, is dumb. Um, especially considering that they really haven't improved. If, if you look at, if you look at the statistics, they maybe have improved one championship, uh, one, one spot in the constructor standing since Lawrence Stroll and his, um, and his team took over and that, before that racing point, and or I shouldn't say racing point, before Cynthia, they were basically having similar performance, similar finishes, and similar performance with a fraction of the budget. So, and Lawrence Stroll has has made it perfectly clear that he he wants Aston Martin to be considered a factory team, and he, and factory teams compete for championships. They're not doing that. Um, do I think that's down to the people that he's hired? Possibly, because um, I think he's I think he's hired a who is it Martin Whitmarsh. Let me check real quick. But Martin Whitmarsh is a guy who hasn't. Yeah, Martin Whitmarsh. He's a guy who's to me has hit, had his heyday with McLaren um, back in the early two thousands. Um, and now he's a CEO of Aston Martin Performance Technologies. Um, I I didn't agree with that with that hire when it happened um, because we we we've seen we have yet to see any any of the higher ups from McLaren's days with Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso, like Ron Dennis, uh, Martin Whitmarsh, all those guys. We, they haven't been able to translate their success to other teams. Um, and also, you know, sometimes it's good to, to hire people that are, um, that have been in Formula One for, for a while. And sometimes it's not. Um, but you know, you got Mark, he hired Martin Whitmarsh and then he hired uh, crack as a race engineer. And, I'll have to look at the structure. I'll have to look at their structure a little bit more in depth, and I will in in a future podcast. But they're just they're not going anywhere. You know they they were shot out of a cannon at the beginning of the season, and then when everyone else started bringing their upgrades, the the parachute opened, while everyone else basically kicked into another gear. And to me that 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 speaks volumes of how that team is, how that team is structured and how in the direction of the team more than anything else. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Lawrence, what, what, what changes Lawrence makes, um, during the off season, if any, and if he doesn't make any, then he's, I don't know. Like I just, I think there's a there's a lot of potential in Aston Martin, and it's and it's being hampered by um, the by the people and decisions that are made in upper management. Um, but good news is is that's allowing McLaren to 
re to, sorry i'm just having brain farts i'm just having brain farts left and right folks i'm sorry but it's allowing mclaren to to return to its to its glory days um you know i don't think i don't think there's too many people who would have had them um competing with with red bull i think a lot of people would have had them competing with ferrari and aston martin maybe ferrari but definitely Aston Martin. But right now, they're the only teams who have who look like who are consistently who are consistently. Uh, sorry, <laughs> they're they're consistently they have consistently good and fast pace. Obviously, they're not really they're they're still a long ways behind Red Bull, um, but they're capitalizing. Um, and taking advantage of conditions and tracks where Red Bull is compromised, um, and Max Verstappen even mentioned it that the reason, one of the reasons why McLaren was so close was because um, of the mandatory three pit stops. Uh, Red Bull could could not exploit um, the advantages of their of their car. Um, but again, credit to McLaren for for taking advantage of that. Um, but yeah, it's next season. I I think next season is is really going to be, um, probably one of the best seasons we've had in a long, long time. Um, I don't see how that Red Bull can get any faster. Um, but you, when you have Adrian Newey who's designed the car, who knows? Um, but what I'm trying to say is that there's a lot more improvements to be made from all the other teams and not so much Red Bull. I mean it's 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 really hard to it's really hard for to some it's really hard for people to improve on a perfect car or excuse me a near perfect car and that's what Red Bull has. Uh, but yeah. Speaking of teams, let's talk about and speaking teams in Aston Martin, Lawrence Stroll, um, the FIA and Andretti Autosport. Um, and for those who have listened to my podcast, and thank you again um, for listening in. But And those who have been listening since the beginning, um, you know where I stand on Andretti Autosport um, and F1. So I'm not going to go into great lengths about it. But... I I want this I want this to happen and it and it still blows my mind that you got these gas bag owners like Lawrence Stroll and Total Wolf who are still putting up a lot of resistance on allowing um an 11th team to enter the grid especially an American team. Um and the race had a very good um video on all this and how the F the other F1 teams the current F1 teams want the um, entry fee to be raised from 300 million US dollars to 600 million US dollars uh, because that's how basically they're adjusting the fee for um, inflation for lack of a better term basically um, they're looking at how the sport has grown the popularity and how much money those teams are are thinking they're going to lose if they allow 11th team and, and 11th team in which yes, if they allowed one of the other three teams that submitted a request to enter 
to enter into Formula One, they would have lost that money. But again, the United States is one of the largest markets in the world for anything, especially cars and racing. So I would love what I would love to see the FIA and Andretti Autosport do to F1 and the owners is go to them and say, okay, you think that we're, show us the data. Show us the data that, that, that will prove to everyone that having an American team enter into Formula One will cause you to lose money. Show us that. Because I can guarantee you that it won't. Even if the American team doesn't put an American driver in there, just having an American team in Formula One, and and, and granted, yes, Haas is an F1 team. Or Haas... <laughs> Duh, Haas is an F1 team. Fuck, my mind is just being retarded tonight. Haas is an American team. But they're still a very, 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 very long way away from being a competitive, even midfield team. Okay, they're, they're, they are a backmarker team. Let's just put it out there. Right now, they're a backmarker team. They're fighting with Williams and, um, and Alfa Romeo. Sorry, I had a brain, another brain fart. But they're, they're a backmarker team. And Drady Sport. They will be a backmarker team, but not for long. You know, if you look at what Andretti, Andretti Autosport or Andretti Global is, I think what they want to be called now, you look at what they do in any car. You look at what they do in um, rallying. Anything, any series that they go into, they don't go into it half-ass. And they throw a lot of, a lot of money and resources into it. Now, they're not Team Penske, but they're not that far behind, um, and the fact that they have G, uh, the fact that they have manufacturer backing, it is only going to help them. Um, now, granted, GM slash Cadillac, they have no idea how to build an F one engine, um, let alone a hybrid engine, a, a, a hybrid, uh, a race hybrid engine, um, especially one that is going to be, you know. For F one regulations, because the the Cadillac the Cadillac LMDH is a hybrid is a hybrid, but it's got a big ass V eight in it, and the electric motors are in the front. Um, but they're they're going to struggle the first couple years. But I I'm willing to bet that it won't, probably within to use Alpine's um, plan within five years. I'm willing to bet that Andretti Autosport will be competing for third or fourth in in the constructors' title, and yes, that is also including um, Audi in there as well. Um, and not, and I said competing, not getting, but competing for it. So you look at it. You look at an American team. In five years' time, they're going to be in the top five in the constructors easily. Show us 
where that popularity and that marketability will cost you money. You're not going to find it. You know, there's a reason why there's a reason why the Americas have three Grand Prix right now. <laughs> Las Vegas may not be there for a lo- for, for long, but still you have three Grand Prix. There is a reason for that. And it's not because everyone likes to be in, everyone likes to be here. Um especially with how especially with the cost of living and gas prices in some of the states. <laughs> but anyway, what I'm getting at is this the 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 amount of resistance that Andretti Autosport is is getting from F1 and the current team owners is stupid. It just really is stupid. You know, what was it? Five, ten years ago, they wanted all these teams in. They wa- basically they were the, they were the inverse of what they are now. But it, before that, they were they're back on this on that same bullshit. Formula One has always been about has always been an elitist protection protectionist culture. They don't want anybody in that they feel is inferior or is going to detract from them, either whether it be financially or otherwise. And that's not how that's not what racing is. Racing is about letting anybody and everyone who can afford to race race. So if if all the F1 if all if all F1 has to offer as 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 a counter to letting Andretti Autosport in is they're going to take money away that is weak as fuck and I would love to see them show us the proof hard proof with data and all that as to how Andretti Autosport is going to to detract basically how Andretti Autosport is going to devalue F1 and they're not. Um, anyway, I think I've spent enough time going around in circles and confusing everyone on this subject. So let's move on to something that's not confusing. Um, and that is Lewis Hamilton back on his shit again. Um, it was interesting for me to hear David Coulthard um, defend um, Lewis Hamilton saying he's an exceptional uh, wheel-to-wheel driver, which he isn't, um, it's at least when it comes to um, battling for four wins and for championships. Um, I've already made it perfectly clear as to the instance, incidents where he was involved in, so I'm not going to go over them. Um, but I think I'm hoping that this is going to be a turning point, not just for Mercedes, but also for Lewis. Um, because George Russell, unlike Valtteri Bottas, and and Nico Rosberg, he's not going to put up with that shit. Um, but I also think that he'll he'll voice his displeasure a little bit publicly. But I would love to be a fly on the wall in the debriefs because I can almost I would I'm almost willing to bet that George Russell just is brutally honest in the debriefs. Um, Nico Rosberg, <clears throat> excuse me, Nico Rosberg 
he he's nowhere near as talented as George Russell is, in my opinion. Um, and he knew that. That's one of the reasons why when he won that title, he immediately retired. Um, and there's there's a few other reasons. There's a few other reasons for that, but I'm not going to get into it. And then with Valtteri Bottas, obviously he's he he knew he was a number two driver, and he stuck to that role even when he was absolutely railroaded. He still stuck to it. Didn't put up too much of a fuss. You know, he played along. George, he's there as Lewis Hamilton's successor. So, the more resistance, the more incidents that he has with Lewis, I think the less likely he will, the less likely he will he he will leave if given the opportunity. Um, and I and I hope that Toto sees that, and he is <laughs> hopefully doing a face to face and not over the phone, basically telling the telling the two, especially Lewis, that they need to be more careful because um, this is the second race in a row where Lewis Hamilton has taken George out, and there and George's had was had zero percent uh, responsibility for both of those incidents, but again. Lewis Hamilton has shown, has a history of initiating these kind of incidents, not just with teammates, but also with other drivers, and then throwing his hands up like it wasn't me. Now, obviously, he's he took full responsibility, um, saying it on Twitter, which I would hope he would, but that still doesn't, it, it, you know, that still doesn't change the result. He still, he still cut across George Russell. He he made a very dumb move, and it's and it threw away. He threw the race away, not just for him, but for George too. Um, and that's not the first time this happened, and it's probably not going to be last. But still, it's just. I think Lewis needs to learn. To there's a time and place to be aggressive, and it's not all the time. Um, and some people are saying, I heard, I heard some people say, well, Lewis was on the fresh, Lewis was on the soft tires, so George should have let him go. Well, if that's the case, then why the fuck do we race? You know, it's just like McLaren with the team with their team orders with Lando, telling him to hold station. Like, what's the point of race? What's the point of racing if we're not going to race? You know, George had the if George felt like he had he he had the better opportunity to overtake Max, then let him fucking race. Just don't wreck into each other. It's that fucking simple. You know, the uh, I've never been a fan of team orders. Um, I think they should race unless they crash into each other, and obviously you have to do you have to protect the team, but. You know, other than that, team orders, strategy, the strategy thing, it's to an extent, but, you know, I just, I just don't get it. Um, but yeah, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully Lewis Hamilton will learn to not crash into George for the rest of the season. And hopefully for the rest of his career. 
but that's fat chance. Um, so let's move on to MotoGP. Uh, what is Honda going to do? Um, I I've heard that people are thinking that that Johan that they that Honda may move Johan from LCR to to the Repsol team. I don't think that's going to happen, um, but I could be wrong. Um, the main reason why I don't think that's going to happen is because Honda isn't paying Johan. Uh, Lucio Cecchinello is paying him. So unless Honda comes in and tells Lucho, tell Lucho tell, tells Lucho how, how it's going to be and offers him, you know, compensation for it, I don't see, I don't see Zarco going to Repsol. Um, and compensation would be meaning that um, Ikerlekawona or maybe Stefan, if he wants to go back to being a full-time uh, rider, goes to LCR and Zarka goes to, to Repsol. Um, but I also think that where, where Zarko is, is fine. Um, but, I mean, <laughs> who's going to want to go to Honda? Um, and I know that, I, I hope at least that these were kind of, you know, tongue-in-cheek jokes, but, you know, they were saying that, oh, Paul can go back to Honda. That's, it's <laughs> like, why would he go back? That the, the guy was so miserable there. And I still remember that first time he got on the KTM in testing. I mean, he looked like a kid in a fucking candy store. Like, I've never, I don't think I've seen a rider that happy on a motorcycle in a long-ass time. So, like, you know, why would he go back? Just because he gets to stay in MotoGP? Fuck that. I mean, that there's only so much money. <laughs> there's only so much money you can have before, you know, the, the stress, the frustration, the depression, you know, before your mental health just says, fuck this. And not only that, but, you know, Paul has a contract with KTM now that he's going to be a test writer and a wild card or a joker. Um, so even, even if he was contractually able to go to Honda, I don't see him going there. I don't see anybody for that matter going there, at least from MotoGP. Um, not just because everyone's under contract, but also because I don't see anybody who is willing to take on that challenge. Um, obviously Zarco did, but it was either that or World Superbike. And and I've talked to some people and, and, and they kind of said, well, why not go to World Superbike? I mean, would you rather win races or, and I mean, you know, it just seems like it's the better option. Yes and no. Because, you know, we've seen MotoGP riders do almost anything in their power to stay in MotoGP. Um, not just because you get paid a hell of a lot more, but also you know, MotoGP and Formula One are the same in that once you're out, it's very hard to get back in. 
Um, and, you know, for that matter, I don't see Honda trying to woo anyone from World Superbike into MotoGP um, because they don't need, in order for them to get that bike competitive, they don't need someone coming from a completely different kind of bike. You need someone who has ridden a KTM or a Ducati or an Aprilia to come over to Honda, talk to uh, Ken Kawachi and say, okay, and ride that bike and say, okay, this, this is, this is what's wrong. This, all this needs to be improved. This is what um, Aprilia, KTM or Ducati did. And this is where you're lacking. Now, Zarco, because he's been on Ducati, he's going to help them. That, that is, that is not up for debate. What is going to be up for debate is whether HRC will listen. Um, and I think, um, I think it was Bad MotoGP memes um, in his in his podcast um, said that Alberto Puj went to HRC with a list of engineers who were European engineers and said and went to HRC with that list and said, "Hey, these are the guys that will help us get help us make this bike better and, and get more competitive." HRC basically said. These aren't Japanese. These aren't HRC people. We don't want them. So that's the resistance that Zarco, Ken, and Puj are going to be up against. Now, hopefully, because they saw their golden goose fly away, HRC will be more receptive to non-HRC people. But that remains to be seen. Um but I don't, I don't see anybody from MotoGP willingly, <laughs> willingly going to to Honda. I just don't see it. I think that Ikerlekawana will either get the LCR seat and Zarka will be moved to Repsol, or Zarka will stay in LCR and Iker will be in in Repsol. Um, and I don't think Juan Mir is going to go anywhere either because everyone else is pretty much filled up at this point. Um, the only chance that he had was if Dorna and the FIM let uh, KTM have a third team. That's obviously not going to happen. So he's 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 basically stuck. Um, and even them, and even Juan Mir, he's not the best at developing a bike. Um, at least I don't think he is. Hopefully he proves me wrong, um, but I don't think he is. Um, but I mean this. Mark Marquez leaving Honda was the worst. <laughs> as much as, as much as everyone saw it coming, it was still the worst case scenario for Honda. Um, and the fact that the fact that they haven't really announced his replacement to me kind of shows that they were that that they were under the assumption that he was going to stay. And if that is the case, that is beyond naive. For HRC. But, you know, Simon Crafar, all these other people who are who are who are in MotoGP had that same thought, which is, oh, he's a Honda guy through and through. Mark's not going to leave. So maybe HRC thought that same way. Oh, he's 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 loyal to us. His loyalty will will stop him from leaving. Motherfucker, no. <laughs> like I, I and that and that just still blows my mind is that how people 
and I know I've talked about this, I think it was last week or a few weeks ago, but it blows my mind how much people overvalue loyalty, especially when it comes to competitive um, sports, competitive athletics. You know, it, it just blows my mind. If someone, if someone were offered me, if I was, if I was in Mark's shoes, actually, don't no, fuck it. Let's not even put me in Mark's shoes. Let's just say I was a MotoGP rider and I was on a bike that was, eh, it was, it was around Aprilia. Let's just put Aprilia's level. I'm making 20 million euros a year. And Honda approaches me, says, hey, we'll offer you 40 million euros. And I've been an Aprilia guy through and through, you know, like Mark, like Mark, I've been there for eight years. Aprilia's kind of struggling. They haven't really improved. They've been stagnant. They, they've, they really have, they've, they're not going anywhere. Honda over here, hey, you're, you're offering me a little bit more money, you know, 30, 40 million euros. Our bike's kind of in the same boat, but we got stuff in the pipelines. We, we can almost guarantee you that our bike's going to be better next, better next year, a lot better than Aprilia. You don't think I'm going to, you don't think I'm going to stay with the you don't think I'm going to stay with Aprilia for less money and really no hope in sight of competing for wins whereas this guy, this guy over here this team over here they're offering me more money and they're telling me what I want to fucking hear. You don't think I'm going to go to them? Oh, but you've been with us for so many years. Aren't you loyal? I'm loyal to the fucking money. I'm loyal to the trophies. I'm loyal to stats. I'm loyal to being considered one of the greatest of all time. That's what I'm loyal to. I'm not loyal to any fucking manufacturer. Like, it, 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 it's just, it's, to, and I'm just thinking about this. It's fucking hypocritical too. Because, oh, you need to be, you know, they want, they want to preach loyalty, but yet they don't want to take care of their riders. They'd rather have them fucking riding around in India in the middle of fucking summer with a hundred and a hundred three degree um, temperatures and so hot and fucking humid that they have to shorten the races. Where's your loyalty to your riders then? Like the Dorna, they're everyone's everyone's loyalty is the same fucking thing. It's loyal to the money. It's loyal to, to the hardware. It's loyal to popularity. They're not loyal. The, the teams aren't loyal to the writers. The writers aren't loyal to the teams. For the most part. Ducati is the only exception. But even then, th- their loyalty has limits. As we're seeing with the FDG. They're dropping him like, they're dropping him fucking quick. Now, granted, that's for Mark Marquez, but even then, you know, I, Paolo, well, maybe not Paolo, but I know Davide basically said that we don't need Mark. We don't need him. They're basically saying that, yeah, we can, we, we don't, we don't need you and we kind of don't want you. Sounds to me like you, you kind of wanted him. 
So, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> enough on that rant. Um, and the other thing that I was hearing about too was um, Fabio leaving Yamaha. And that's not going to – like none of these silly season rumors or scenarios I, I see playing out. Um, Fabio's not leaving Yamaha. Maverick is definitely not going to to fucking Honda. Um, I because I, if if he does, I will give him till probably the third race of the season before he tries to blow up that motor. Because um, <laughs> again, like Maverick, I I don't see Maverick putting himself through that kind of mental that mental punishment again. Um, I just don't see it. But Fabio, Fabio, I don't see him leaving Yamaha early because he doesn't he he's he doesn't have the credit that Mark has. And that's that's just plain and simple. He doesn't have the titles, he doesn't have the wins, he doesn't have the stats, and he doesn't have the sponsorship. He doesn't have the clout to pull that move. Do I think he wants to leave Yamaha? Absolutely, I think he wants to leave him. I mean, if anything, Fabio's been done. Well, Fabio's been done done dirty by. <laughs> Can I help you, Jack? You, you mind if I do this podcast while you interrupt? Thank you. Um, <laughs> Fabio has. Mark shot himself in the foot just as much as Honda shot themselves in the foot. Fabio has not shot himself in the foot near as badly as Yamaha has. Um, so if anything, Fabio's situation, I think Fabio's situation is worse. And that's kind of a double whammy for him because he, he there's no scenario where he can get out of his contract. Um, I... And I don't see Lynn or Yamaha wanting to let the only person who's capable of winning on that bike let let that person go. Um, so yeah, uh, I think that's it. I think we've about covered it. <laughs> we're, and we're back on to the almost fifty minute podcast. Um, so before I forget again. Um, it's funny, I had all these topics written down, but I forgot. So obviously next week we're in, um, we're in, we're in Thailand in MotoGP. I think so. Let me just double check. Yeah. Mandalika or Indonesia. Sorry. We're in Mandalika. Um, and then I think F1, they are... See where we're at. Oh, we're going to Coda, but that's going to be in a couple weeks' time. Um, so yeah, next week, next week's podcast will be all about MotoGP. Yay! Um, yeah. So Indonesia, then we go, we go to Australia, um, and just a little heads up: uh, Alex Marquez is circling. Phillip Island as his return date. So hopefully we get to see Alex back. Um, hopefully he's healthy enough to return um, and he doesn't, you know, go the same way Renz did and has to pull up because 
his body is saying, fuck you, I'm not going to do this. Um, but on that note, thank you. Uh, thanks again for everyone for tuning in and listening. Stay safe. And until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side.